Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I am your intrepid host and publisher of said newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined here by my co-host, Brian Fisher. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic and uh, excited to not only talk to you, but uh, one of our good friends today, Bud Elliott uh, of 24-7 Sports and uh, somebody who we, we both know well, but also about a subject that I think everybody listening right now is going to be intrigued about because it's it's everybody's favorite state. It's, it's Florida. Uh, the word favorite really doing a lot of work in that last sentence. Florida is definitely a state. Uh, it's definitely an important state uh, and, and definitely a unique one. And that's why we wanted to talk to an expert. You know, one, one of the, some of the shows that I've really enjoyed the most uh, prepping for and kind of digging into or talking to people that really understand a specific part of the country, particularly as it pertains to college sports really well, because to cover college sports, I think requires you to play armchair anthropologist a little bit or armchair uh, ge- cartographer or ar- armchair democrat. Uh, political scientist, because it's not the, the reason that these schools do well and don't do well and recruit well or don't or don't do well. It isn't just about coaches and back. It's about local customs, population shifts, state high school funding, local histories. And as a Midwesterner, I, I, I don't think I can just sit here and pontificate about an entity as complicated as Florida without talking to somebody who knows that state really well. So we, we wanted to bring in our buddy, Bud Elliott. Bud used to work with me at SB Nation. Uh, Bud works at CBS Sports and 247 Now. He's uh, one of the foremost experts, not just on Florida State, but on recruiting and the history of recruiting throughout that state. So happy to bring him in here and help us understand Florida a little bit better. But I'm, I'm so happy that, you, that you're taking some time here to chat with us. Um, I'd love to ask you maybe a stupid question up front for our, our listeners here who do not have as much exposure in all things Florida uh, as, as you have. Because you don't have to be a genius to look at a map and realize that this is not a monolithic unit for the entire state. And that South Florida and the Panhandle are very, very different, not just demographically or historically, but athletically. So we asked this when we talked about Texas. Let's kind of start here on a 5,000 foot view. What are the, I mean, if you had to like break up Florida into different regions, what are some of those regions beyond just, we know that Miami Dade's kind of a thing. What are, what are the United States of Florida? Sure. So I I guess just starting from, you know, where you just mentioned with, with Miami Dade, there's sort of South Florida and you might think of South Florida as just the Southern part of Florida, but that's not really the case, right? Floridians think of South Florida, at least all the Floridians I know, uh, as Southeast Florida. So, you know, Miami, Lauderdale, Palm Beach. And you could kind of use the term South Florida colloquially to just mean all three of those areas. Uh, I think people who live down there might object to, you know, that, that being, you know, categorized as the same thing. But, I mean, you tell me, dri- drive from Miami to Lauderdale to Palm Beach, and unless you're right along the coast, it's hard to tell where one city uh, stops and, and the other one begins. Uh, if you cut across Alligator Alley, then you're getting into sort of Southwest Florida, which I would define as basically Collier, Lee, and Charlotte County. So Naples, Fort Myers. Uh, and then I think Sarasota fits into that pretty much as well, along with like the Venice area. And then to me, you know, staying on, on, on the Western side there, you get basically the, the Bay area, which is going to be you know, St. Pete, uh, maybe Manatee, uh, Tampa, sort of that, that area. Then you have, you know, just kind of cutting across east again, central Florida, which is going to be primarily Orlando and suburbs, but also like the very central part of the state. So Plant City, which is 
certainly not a suburb of Tampa, but it, it's just it, to me, it's a little more Tampa than, than it is Orlando. Uh, Lakeland, which has produced a, a ton of good prospects over yeah. the years, is basically kind of halfway between Orlando and Tampa. And then obviously you have you know, the Orlando area. Then I mean, I'm not trying to just do this a map of of Florida, but these are different areas. <laughs> just, yeah, um, this, yeah, this, this it's, it's important. Yeah. Then then you know if if you just if you just cut up north, uh, Jacksonville is um, probably like the most country uh, big city in in the state. It almost feels more Georgia at times. And there's some very rural areas between Orlando and Jacksonville. And we've had some kids and try to remember who now off the top of my head, but I remember thinking. Wait, how the hell did he not get noticed until late in the cycle? I'm like, oh, okay, because he lives like exactly in the middle of Jacksonville and Orlando on a route that like nobody would take unless they're specifically going, you know, to that town. Uh, right. And then, you know, basically north of of Tampa on, on the Gulf Coast, there really isn't much. It, a lot of it is is fairly, you know, underdeveloped. Um, you know, you, you you have Ocala more in the middle of the state, and then Lake City. Lake City is obviously where you're going to make the turn from I-75, which is the the interstate that you know cuts along the Gulf Coast there, uh, to I-10, which runs pretty sure all the way out to California or at least through Texas. Oh, oh yeah, um, no. I, I think Brian and I have both done the I-10 drive through uh, middle of nowhere Texas at least a couple of times. I-10 I has some bad stretches, man. It it it, it, it feels like I mean the, it's not my favorite highway. Oh, no arguments here. Yeah, the I-10 stretch from uh, like like. Tallahassee to Jacksonville is brutal. That's that's two hours you just you don't want to do. Um, <laughs> and so then you know you, you get yeah. up there, you you cut Jacksonville to you know obviously you're gonna hit, hit Lake City ish, and then there's Tallahassee, uh, you know, Niceville, Destin, Fort Walton, Panama City. I, I kind of you know Pensacola. I kind of group yeah. Tallahassee separately, and then those cities as sort of the like the westernmost cities up there in the Florida panhandle. And th- those regions are, are certainly different, you know, for football. Um, Southeast Florida, you know, South Florida is going to be by far the most talented. It's also the most populated, again, by far. Uh, but, you know, Tampa and Orlando and Jacksonville also produce a, a pretty good number of prospects. Southwest Florida has produced some some big-time prospects, including some kids who are just freaky athletic. I mean, Deion Sanders, Javon Kirst, same high school, you know, like, some dudes who, who, if you grew up watching football, you, yeah. you, you would know. And then the Panhandle has some interest. It, occasionally, you get some real studs out of there, uh, but it's also a lot more spread out. And the quality of football, school to school, is, it varies quite a bit. Uh, and a lot of times, you have a little bit lower competition level there for the most part. So they're playing more, you know, one A, one A, one B rural, you know, two A, three A ball. Some Tallahassee schools are going to be bigger, but for the most part, you know, you're getting a little bit smaller football up there. So you kind of have to have to know what you're looking for and, and have some different contacts up there than you would in South Florida. I, I want to talk a little bit about South Florida specifically, because I, I think if you are a college football fan, not from the state, but follow recruiting just a little bit, you know that, Hey, th- those, those three counties in the Southeastern part of the state, that's some of the most talent rich parts of the whole country. If you don't, if you're, if your alma mater is not in Florida, chances are you're recruiting Florida and chances are you're recruiting this particular part of Florida, particularly if you're looking for skill position talent, right? And and we know that when the Miami Hurricanes were stomping everybody in the 80s and early 90s, it was through a large collection of talent from this particular area. Now, I know that, you know, 
if, if Wisconsin and Toledo and Boise State are, are, are kicking around South Florida now, that, that means it's not really a secret that, that there's good football players there. So I'm wondering, has the, has the importance of, of this particular part of the country changed uh, over the last 10 years or so? Is, is it less important because everybody's here now? Or is it, listen, if you need a wide receiver, this is still the best place to go. I, I don't know that it is. You know, l- less important, right? We we, we just saw yeah. Alabama go to, to to Florida for three of their four kids uh, in their latest class, who were all you know, five star type receivers or or pretty damn close to it, and they obviously yeah. had some pretty good success sending guys to the league in that position in recent years. As yeah, <laughs> yeah, as, as yeah. I, I I I did watch a couple of them on television this last season, and uh, we can just kind of leave it at that. If you they, play they base cover very, three, they, uh, they they did very well. It's weird if you put you put a, a guy that runs about as fast as I do as a, as a linebacker and have them cover the best floor, the best wideout <laughs> from South Florida. It's not going to work out so well. But what do I know? I'm um, just the guy in my basement. So I, I do think that uh, it has become much easier for schools out of state to recruit South Florida. For, for a couple of different reasons. One is yeah. the, the just the, the widespread distribution of digital film. When when Miami was dominating in the eighties, like we didn't have that. Okay. Like you you'd have you'd have services and some coaches who would go around to high schools and, and try to get the film. But now like you can pull up any kid from anywhere down there and, and watch him whether you're recruiting in Alaska or right there in, in, in Carroll City. So I think that's become a big thing. The, the the ability to identify players early, not having to have quite as many local connections in order to succeed down there because you're establishing your relationships with these prospects earlier than you did probably certainly 10 years ago and, and certainly a lot more than you did you know, 20 or 30 years ago. And I think Miami probably has a, a greater variety of, of suitors for the prospects down there that, that it has to fend off if they want to keep him home just because the relationships are established earlier. It used to be, Hey, this kid pops, we really like him. We're going to get down there and see him. Okay. Yeah. But Miami has been talking to me for three years and you've been talking to me for, for two months. Same thing with, with, with Florida and Florida state. Although traditionally Florida state has recruited date a lot more and Florida has been much more Fort Lauderdale, Palm beach for, you know, whatever reasons, maybe campus culture or whatnot. Um, kind of hard to describe, but it is a pattern you know, that's been there for, quite some time. Uh, I, I think that is, I don't think it's less important, but I do think more schools are confident going down there and trying to recruit the area. You've also had Makes some sense. big time kids leave South Florida. I mean, when, when Patrick Johnson, who, you know, it now goes by the name Patrick Peterson, when, when, when he went to LSU, like I remember that being one, I was like, whoa, okay. You know, big deal. The, the, the one thing that I, I, I've noticed, and maybe this is just me reading a, a spreadsheet incorrectly, is when you look around at Florida, is uh, over the last you know handful of years, you have so many wide receivers that have done well out of that region. You've had so many defensive ends, defensive backs that have done well. You've had more uh, big offensive linemen than, than I would have expected that have come out of here. But one position group that does seem to be underrepresented are quarterbacks. And if I'm looking at the class this year, you know, leaving aside the IMG kids, which I, I don't really totally count as Florida, I think there's only one four-star quarterback. It's the, the the kid that FSU currently has right now. There's only one other one in like the top 50 or 60 players in the state. And that doesn't seem atypical looking at the last couple of years. I, I think I've heard you talk about this here before, but is there a particular reason why despite being, you know, doing such a great job of producing high-level athletes at a bunch of other positions, is there a reason why they don't produce as many quarterbacks? I, I, I assume you're just pushing those kids to other positions at an earlier age, right? I, I think it's, there's a little bit of that. Um, I also think that 
And it's something I've actually thought about quite a bit because, yeah, our state does not produce good quarterbacks, at least not in, in volume. You, know, you go to, to the Elite 11 here, best two players at the Elite 11 in Orlando that I went to a couple months ago, one was from Georgia, <laughs> the, the other one's yeah. from California and, and plays for IMG, as you noted. I think the defensive speed in this state from an early age is different. I, I, I really do. I, I think that, if it, or, excuse me, I, I think that, you know, like think about the kids that FSU and Florida and Miami are, are recruiting. They all have really, really good speed on the back end. Like you come to Florida, you get DBs. And there are DBs that go from Florida who are like two stars and they end up being great for yeah. other schools. And as a result, guys, I, I think that it makes it difficult to pass the football in youth football because the windows are not as big. And as a, I just don't think you can throw the ball successfully in Pop Warner and youth ball and middle school ball, although for the most part, we don't really have middle school ball in this state. Um, I think it makes it really tough. And I, I think our, our guys in the state quarterback wise are at kind of a developmental deficit by the time they get to high school because the Pop Warner coaches are smart enough to realize we're, we're going to get sacked a million times. These edge rushers are really, really fast. We can't pass pro it. And the, and the passing windows aren't great either because even though we got really good speed on offense, the speed on defense matches and the depth of, of that speed in the state, I think is different in other states. Here's where the depth really plays into it. In other states, you may have a couple kids who are that fast. You put them on yeah. offense. They're running away from everybody. In Florida, they're not running away from everybody to that same extent. So I think it really impacts it. You have a lot of teams in youth ball down here who still run like wing T and, you know, like more spread option type stuff. They're not chucking the ball around 40 or 50 times a game. Um, I also think you have a little bit of flight of high school coaches like Georgia pays so much better than the state of Florida does for teachers. Like you, you see some of your better coaches in the state have left for jobs in other States. Well, that's something, that's something that I noticed maybe even a decade ago was just the level of coaching overall in the state of Florida was so different from what you got in not only in Georgia, but going from Texas, Ohio, some of these other States, it's not just the pay, it's just the overall level, even at the assistant level. What is the kind of the state of, of high school coaching in, in Florida? I, I think it's, it's decent. Um, like we, we have had some really good guys leave for other States, but we also have some guys who, who consistently win, at the high school level here and, and do a really good job. Uh, you know, Florida sometimes has a reputation for sort of like sloppy play. I think a lot of that is just, it's hard to block these guys that are that, are that fast. There's going to be a lot of holding. Um, you, know, you, you do have more seven on seven going on in this state now than you used to, which may help some with some of the quarterback development. I mean, Matt, Mac Jones was, was from Florida, you know, and, and he played a ton of seven on seven. I probably saw him, I don't know, seven or eight times in person at seven on seven events. Just the guy was constantly out there throwing, throwing, throwing. So may, maybe our state can can make up uh, for some of that in that way. But I do think the high school coaching, it could be better if the teachers were, were paid more, certainly, because they wouldn't be leaving for, uh, let's say, Georgia, where a lot of them go. I The, the Georgia coaching thing like is, is worth highlighting because I think that – even goes beyond just public school teacher pay from a quality of life perspective. I think I would rather be a public school, Georgia football coach than a position coach in the Mac. Like you, you, I, I mean, I, I wrote about this for extra points about a year ago uh, on the high level, you can make six figures and you don't have to travel the road recruiting and you have a, a little bit different job security than you might if you're working at Kent state. Um, you may get a, you may get a truck from your, your local Chevy dealership or, or whomever, sure. or like, like the, the sponsors of the program. Uh, yeah, you can definitely make six figures in Georgia. Not all of them. Like, I don't want to make it sound like every Georgia coach makes six figures, but there are certainly some 
you know, who, who definitely makes six figures. The, the fringe benefits and, and taking away some of the things about college coaching that make it so difficult for families. Uh, I can I can definitely see why high school coaching would be attractive here in my neck of the woods, in the Midwest. We've seen people do the same thing. It's like, wait, the weather isn't garbage and I can make more money. Like, no brainer. Yeah, let's 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 go to Metro Atlanta. Um, I want to go back to what you what you had just mentioned there. The idea of quarterback development being stunted because everyone, everyone, all the other position groups have matured at a faster rate is interesting to me. But if, if that's true, why do you think we haven't necessarily seen that same stunting from wide receivers? There's a ton of natural speed, but if you don't have quarterbacks that can effectively get you the ball or you're, or you're running a, a wing tee, wouldn't that make it more difficult for you to go into an FBS program knowing the route running and blocking you need to be successful? I, I think that's a really good point, and I don't have a great answer for that. I, I think if you try to walk through it, Logically, it's that they, because they face such tight coverage, they are, are more used to facing coverage that they would face at the college level, right? M- more guys who are able to run with them, even though they're not catching as many balls. Uh, you know, if they if they do a lot of side work, that they can still be, you know, somewhat ready for college. Some of the stuff you probably can't simulate as much is you know, so, sort of the, some of the coverage adjustments and things that you have to work through. Obviously, because there's a lot of more you know, option routes and things like that running college than there are at the high school or certainly at like the pop Warner level. But I, that's a, that's a good point, man. I really hadn't thought about it in, in that way. I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, that, that may, that may be worth looking into. I mean, what your, your hypothesis makes, makes a lot of sense too. You know, Bud mentioned two things that, that I think are, are important to keep in mind. Seven and seven, Florida seemed uh, really ahead of the curve in terms of assembling more all-star teams, you know, not really based uh, on what high school you went to. It, it, it's certainly uh, going back to the kind of the Pop Warner days. Florida ha- has certainly assembled talent in, in a lot of these teams. How has the rise of seven on seven kind of translated over on the recruiting side? Because it, it's not not like Texas, where the high school coach has a lot of power. It's not like Georgia, where it's kind of similar. It, it's very much kind of based on that seven on seven circuit and a lot of people that are outside of the high school programs involved with a lot of these kids. Well, in, in some cases, and remember in Florida, we have open transfer. A couple of years ago, the FHSAA, the you know, Florida High School Athletic Association, just threw his hands up and said, screw it. Like, we're not investing <laughs> this kind of money to investigate all of these these claims. This kid transferred because you know, his grandma's sick or because yeah. his parents you know, got a new job. And it's just like, look, man, go, go to school where you want to go to school. Like, we're not really going to waste our time on this. Now, if you transfer like a mid-semester, in most cases, you do have to sit. But other than that, like you can, you could pop over like in July and be like, "Boom, I'm here for two days," and and it'd be fine from a from a cross county rival. And we see that a ton. Like every year, keeping track of who's yeah. at what school now is is a real challenge for the recruiting analysts in our network who cover the state of Florida because these kids transfer a lot. We've had kids who are at four four schools in three years, which I don't really think is great for their education. By the way, uh, personally, because I'm not really sure. Like, who's your no. advocate? At that point, if you know, if you need somebody to really go to bat for you, is it just the last coach that you transfer to? Yeah. Seven on seven, though. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Exact thing here in Chicago, where with with like you don't have a, you don't who's going to go fight for your academic eligibility? Who's going to go try to scare up some extra Pell Grant money for you? Yeah. I and mean, who's going to really sell your tape? It becomes a, oh, people slip, slip through the cracks. With the seven on seven, though, for the most part, you're staying with your same seven on seven organization. A lot of times you've been with the same seven on seven org since your middle school, because a lot of these seven on sevens also run like, you know, 13U, 12U, seven on, because they're, they're going on at the same time. If you go to these tournaments, like you have your high school division, then you have basically your, your eighth grade and under 
uh, division, although they call it, it's like 12 or 13 U. I don't really watch a lot of 12 or 13 U. Um, very rarely, like there's been a couple kids who balled out. And it's like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll put the kid's name in my notebook. Yeah. But other than that, no. Call me when you're done. You know, for, then, then. Yeah, like, are you going to win the puberty lottery or not? <laughs> yeah, otherwise, you know, I really don't nobody care. knows like, at 12. <laughs> like, I, you know, no, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Exactly. So I think that the seven on coaches and you know the trainers and whatnot who are associated with those seven on teams uh, have a much greater impact on the athletes' recruitment than they used to. And they also oftentimes are the transportation for a prospect to go up and, and see a school. A lot of them will do, uh, you know, bus tours. I, I, know, I know Ricky Saylor of Unsigned Preps does a huge bus tour out of Tampa. And I know there's, there's big, big time bus tours uh, out of uh, out of South Florida. I, I think Uncle Luke was actually involved sounds, with one. That sounds right. At one point, they'll go hit up like 10 or 12 schools. And that's that's a real good benefit for those kids, obviously. But you're not seeing as many, I think, organized team activities I guess to steal the NFL's term with high schools as maybe you do in some other states. So I think that has some impact on the, the involvement of the high school coach. It's, in like the a, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's libertarian high school football. It, it kind of sounds like it, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's more, more decentralized, it really completely free, uh, you know, movement of labor on, on the prep side. It can be a little bit more confusing than something a little bit more centralized. And, and that might explain some of the eccentricities that, that come with, with, with recruiting that area. But no, that, that's a world that makes sense, right? You also see kids making announcements as to where they're going to play high yeah, school in the fall. That's uh, like with graphics, which is pretty, pretty uh, interesting. On that note, right? One of the most famous high schools, not just in Florida, but to anybody that cares about about, about prep sports, IMG, right? And it is international uh, boarding school here for athletic talent. I, my sister teaches in Brazil and one of her students is an ace tennis player and is like leaving and going to IMG and like, and like, Oh, I, I've never heard of that place. It's clearly a, a very different kind of athletic program than any public school within the state. You're recruiting internationally. You're competing nationally. Your, your goals are, are very different from your American heritage or any other, like a good program. Are they seen as a threat to other coaches or other people within like the, the Florida system? Or is it just, they're just like this own thing and we don't really have to worry about that. So as far as like competing for the state title or anything, they're, they're not seen as a threat. They don't participate in, in the state of Florida playoffs with their, with their national team. Uh, their varsity team, which they don't want to call it this, but I will. It, it's it's their B team. Uh, they yeah. they do participate more of a Florida-based schedule. Now, the national team will play a couple teams from Florida, but for the most part, like they, I think they do try to fit in as best they can. Like they uh, really very rarely recruit players from inside the state of Florida because they don't want to you know start those relationships. I think like if this kid or the family comes to them, then they'll they'll take the call. But like they're not out there actively looking to to recruit players to their high school like they might be from from other states because they don't want to ruin those relationships. And it makes scheduling really hard sure. as well. Like if you're like, hey, I just took your best player. Want to play us? Probably not. Yeah. No. Um, so they from that standpoint, like and the, and the, the you know, the the varsity team is not as good as, as the national team. And, and that varsity team is not really seen as a threat, but it's a really interesting model. I mean, they, they are run a lot like a college program. We just went down there for 24 seven sports day at IMG and you know, they, they have lifting at this time and then team meetings at this time and in school from this time to this time. And it, it, it's a boarding school and it's run a lot like a college. It is in Bradenton, Florida, which is not very interesting or, or exciting at all. I guess you kind of have the beach, uh, but 
kind of yeah but, but maybe, maybe that's an asset too it, it, it would be a, a different experience if it was in miami oh, right 100 uh, i think it actually sprung out of the old nick Bolletieri tennis academy right it was a famous tennis academy down there and then they added other sports i believe football was actually the last sport that they added for obvious reasons with, with the cost and all the infrastructure that you need as, as you guys talk about so much um it's also really expensive to go there so a lot of kids get scholarships and img also happens to have a pretty big agency that reps people down the line and if you just happen to return to img for your pre-draft training and maybe you feel like img treated you well and you want to sign with one of their agents down the line they're probably not opposed to that it, it is a vertically integrated business model that 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 makes a lot of sense if you end up you having a a fruitful athletic career um not a not a good or a bad just a different thing um I, there was there was something that you used to mention a couple of times back when we were colleagues, and I've heard you I kind of allude to this on some of the other podcasts. This concept that Florida might be a little bit over recruited now, and it is more difficult to find a diamond in the rough. Although, as you mentioned, they, they do exist, particularly in some of the more rural parts of the state. Can you talk to us about, about how that what what you mean by that, or is that, is that an accurate depiction of of how you feel about some parts of the state now that maybe? schools are coming in and reaching on kids just so that they can say they got a Florida kid. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. I, I, I think there, there, there could be something to that. I don't know that it's like drastically yeah. over recruited. This was originally a quote that Richard Johnson had in a story at, at SB nation. We discussed it on uh, PAPN RIP to, to, to PAPN, not to Richard, <laughs> um, you know, and so yeah, I just I, talked he, to him. He's still alive. I think he, he's, he's doing well. Um, he basically said that the guy he was talking to said, look, everybody recruits Florida. So it's hard to have kids fall through the cracks, which I think is true. The kids who fall through the cracks are either in, in some of like the really rural states or the kids who grow a ton. That's something I, I put out every year. Like, hey, here's these kids who we probably I don't want to count them as misses in the recruiting industry because they put on 50% of their body oh, yeah. weight after enrolling in college. I'm going I'm, I'm to put that story <laughs> in the show notes. Like it's excellent. Bud goes and looks at the two stars that make in the first round. Like, well, yeah, of course everybody missed it. He gained 45 pounds and still kept his speed. Like if you bet on that for every two star kid, you are out of a job because right. normal people don't do that physiologically. The other thing that, that Richard pointed out, I, I this I, I really do agree with. Oftentimes you have a guy on your staff if you're a school that's not in Florida, who is like your Florida connection, the guy with the Florida connects, and he's going to go down there to Florida. And everybody wants to go to Florida, especially in the winter months, because it's, it's pretty nice down here. <laughs> and you're under you're under pressure to sign somebody. Yeah. So if you don't get anybody, your, your head coach is going to be like, wait, are you just like on vacation down there? You're just hanging out in Florida? Or are you – so I think that they they might reach in who they offer sometimes just to say they got a Florida kid. And they also like the mentality that Florida kids have. You know, they oftentimes have an edge to them. Uh, I think Florida teams like start fights at seven on sevens pretty regularly, and and they're they definitely Brian's seen it. I mean, it, it's they, <laughs> there's a little bit different attitude sure. at some of these things sure. from some of these Florida teams. And you know, if you get enough of that on your team, maybe it can help. If you have a little bit too much, then maybe it's not a great thing. But a little bit of a little edge to you getting Florida kids. So they want to bring that in. But I could see how that could lead it to being a bit over-recruited, sure. 
So from the Florida kids to the Florida programs, I'm curious what your thoughts are on kind of the state of of football and especially at the FBS level, because it wasn't long ago that none of these these power five programs even had an indoor facility. That's changed. It seems like there has been more of a need for investment and more of a focus on investment on the sport of football. What is kind of the the state of affairs uh, among the big three in particular? Yes, I would agree with that, that they all three programs have invested a lot more in like the last five to 10 years. I know Florida and Florida State are building their uh, football-only facilities as well. Miami has an indoor now. Florida State fans make fun of them because it's only like 60 yards or something, but it's still an indoor and your land in Miami is not not that cheap. So it's hard to fault them for that. Uh, I I think they all went through a bit of a lull for for a variety of reasons. Um, Florida has done a really nice job on the field. Florida fans will tell you that they are a little bit annoyed that Mullen is not taking advantage of the other two programs being down as much and recruiting as they would like them to. And the evidence they point to is that they've seen what, what a fully optimized Florida looks like on the recruiting trail because Herb Meyer did it, Ron Zook did it, and when Steve Spurrier was motivated and into it, he also did it. Uh, so Florida's recruiting pretty darn well. They're just not recruiting at that Georgia, Bama, Ohio State level, and I think that annoys Florida fans. But ultimately, I, th- I think Dan Mullen is a heck of a coach and, and is doing a good job. Florida fans, some of them disagree, some of them don't. I know on the Cover 3 podcast uh, last week, I said that I, I thought Florida fans would trade Mullen for uh, for Kirby Smart, and a couple of them agreed with me. A lot of them disagreed with me, and my thought was like, well, are you trying to, to play at your max level, or are you just trying to have like eight, nine, ten win seasons? Because... I know Mullen can keep getting you the ladder. I don't know if he can get you to the top, but we'll see. Um, Florida State, they're in an interesting spot. I've been a little bit surprised at how much success they've had on the recruiting trail so far this year because they've never met any of these kids in person. They got in there, and then the pandemic hit pretty quickly, and they've had to do everything via Zoom. But they have a pretty decent shot to sign like a top-10 class, even though I think they're probably only going to be like 5-7 and or 6-6. and on the field this year. Um, they seem to have held their cards right in terms of not taking a whole lot of high schoolers last year, going heavy transfer. And as a result, where many schools this year are not going to take very many high schoolers. And we're already hearing stories of schools telling us they're going to take six or seven high schoolers in their class, which is obviously a really small number. FSU thinks they can take like 20 or 22. So there's a lot of kids who are going to not have spots elsewhere who are high quality players. They may be in a, in a position to, and take advantage of that. But I still think they're pretty far away off from being like a legitimately good team. That, that's that's a serious rebuild there. Yeah. Well, cool. I think Miami did a tremendous job handling the pandemic. I mean, having everybody in your backyard, you know, having all those connections down there to guys who who train some of these five stars, they ended up keeping two five stars homes who, who a couple months before they signed, I didn't think they were going to get. And they did. And you don't want to say they benefited from the pandemic because that's I don't like that connotation. I think they were negatively impacted less than some other programs were because of their local familiarity to, to some of that top talent. Manny Diaz did a really good job recruiting it. That is, I, I mean, if I'm Florida State, I would imagine you'd want to go heavier on high school talent right now if you could, just because if, if anything, you'd want a roster that has a chance to gel and be with each other for a longer period of time, knowing that you're not, you're not likely to, you're not likely to compete for a conference title next year. Right. So like going transfer heavy and trying to make like one last big push 
doesn't make as much sense as it might maybe for Miami. Am I, am I kind of reading that correctly? If, if the math works out right. I think you're right on that. You also don't want to go crazy heavy transfer back to back years Yeah. for, for roster balance purposes. That, 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 that would, that would make sense. The, um, and oh, we, go ahead. we would be remiss if we didn't also mention, you know, UCF, uh, USF, some of the other, you know, group of five programs in the state, where, where do they kind of fit into the pecking order? Uh, not only locally, but I think regionally as well. I, I know some UCF folks and they kind of think they got a gift with Heibel being hired away. Um, I think Heibel was a smart hire by Tennessee because he'll score some points and sell some tickets while they go through their NCAA thing, since obviously they kind of turn themselves in in order to get out of a buyout, which is an interesting choice uh, to make. But UCF, I don't think they signed anybody in the top 80 in the state last year. And look, I don't think UCF is going to be beating Miami or the Gators or the Knowles anytime soon for prospects that they actually want. But I do think that UCF, given its recent success, proximity to the talent, you know, exciting offense, assuming that they still have one with Malzahn, we'll see. They should be able to pick off a couple kids a year in that sort of 50 to 75 range and occasionally maybe get a kid in the top 40 range or top 35 range in the state. And they just don't so far. I, I think, yeah. honestly, Hypo kind of kept his recruiting connections out of state and a lot of in-state schools didn't really love the way their kids were recruited by UCF. And I think Gus Malzahn's staff were already seeing it. I mean, I'm in Orlando. Like I, I, those guys are much more aggressive on the recruiting trail. I think that, you know, if you're a Louisville or a Purdue or maybe a Minnesota or a program like that, right? Like a program that doesn't win it, it's, it's league, but you know, fights to go to bowls and you recruit Florida heavily, you got a new player. I think you do have to contend with a little bit more in UCF that you probably didn't have to contend with a couple of years ago. The, the UCF, I'm, I'm glad to hear you talk about UCF, you know, particularly, I, I guess, in that last class or two, because they are this great example of how college athletic growth is not always linear, right? When we play on the, on the Xbox, you win a couple of winning seasons, you get into the, the right, a BCS game, and suddenly that four-star who would never pick up the phone three seasons ago has you in your top five. But when we look at UCF's recruiting over the past couple of years, it, it, it hasn't really made that jump, even as other G5 programs, you know, like Cincinnati can go in there and they can beat Kentucky for a kid. They, they signed kids that Ohio State wanted. Um, you know, they might, that, that might have been the 18th kid in Ohio State's class from the second in Cincinnati's class. But they've won a couple of those and brought in top 400 nationally talent. Boise has done this before. UCF really hasn't. Not only not, not only they're not really getting in the top 40 in the state, but they're really only getting in like the top 600 nationally once or twice a class. And that's something that in the American other schools are, are able to do. Now, they still won games on the field. But if UCF can't do it, when you've got so many good players right around the corner, chances are your favorite program is going to struggle with that too. Like that's that it's, it's, it would be more fun if video games were real life. UCF seems like a good example of why they're not always, right? I, I think so, but you also have to try. <laughs> yes. And I don't, yeah. And like we say, hey, what makes a good recruiting coach? I know some guys on Mario Cristobal's staff, right? And like we talk recruiting somehow every single meeting. Yeah. Whether, whether the meeting is, is, is recruiting related or not, you can tell this guy is constantly thinking about upgrading the talent at Oregon because he circles back somehow to recruiting, you know, directly, indirectly. Like you have to emphasize recruiting. And I, I think, I, I mean, I don't know on field how much success they'll have immediately, 
but I do think that Malzahn's staff made some hires that are going to be very, very recruiting focused. And I think they're going to hit it harder. They're already offering more kids in the state than UCF did in the past. I want to ask you one last question here, and maybe this is this is outside of your wheelhouse. But when you talked about Texas, and obviously you're going to have a lot of high level conversation about the biggest programs. There's a, a really some really interesting things happening in Texas, not just the G5 level, but the FCS and Division II level. Like small college football in Texas is a really big thing culturally. When I look at Florida, I don't. I think I don't think you have a scholarship non HBCU. FCS program. And I think there's only one or two division twos and like West Florida, I know is one of them. They won a national title recently. And I would imagine to, to be a division two school and in, in especially Northern Florida, you can have, you, you'd have the potential to be very good because as you know, kids at the low level FBS want to transfer closer to home. The transfer portal doesn't work out. You think that there's talent available there. Do you know why we don't see a whole lot of smaller college uh, football in Florida above the division three level. And is that something that you think should change? I, I don't know exactly why I, I just off the top of my head, I, I have some theories. You know, you, you see a lot of programs in this state in, in pro sports struggle to attract fans. And a lot of it is because of the transient nature of the people who live here. A lot of them are from out of state. There's not a lot of people who are actually born in Florida. There's even fewer who have, you know, several generations in Florida, I, like a lot of these schools that are smaller that don't have football programs are, are real small. And I don't know that they would necessarily want to support them. A lot of their fans are probably fans of, you know, one of the three existing, you know, big time FCS teams or even UCF and, and USF yeah. in the state or FAU, FIU, if, if you're in South Florida. And I know they do have, have some fans, obviously. Uh, I also think, you know, funding in, in this state is not particularly great. Like they're they're, they're not a state that funds education quite at the level that some other states do. And, uh, you know, so that, that could have, that could have an impact. It's not a question that I've thought about a whole lot, obviously based on my answer, but th- <laughs> those are my guesses, but there is talent down here. Yeah. You also saw a lot of programs, uh, back in like the early two thousands, look at the junior college level, uh, cut sports. So I, I my guess is, is that maybe we used to have more FCS and I, I don't know. I, I was, barely 18 that would be an interesting project to see if we used to have more fcs or or d2 football in the state than we do now the 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 issue about transient populations is something i've thought a lot about and it i mean it's going to be a big challenge if you're even if you're at a place like like south florida or or fiu or fr or any of these other you know mid-major or low-major fbs programs of trying to attract commuter schools schools, i mean like shoot UCF's what sixty thousand people now. I know that's they get real, really angry at you if you insinuate they're a commuter school because uh, I know what that the, that school's changed. Some of these other ones haven't, and I don't know how you raise enough money to be able to be a competitive program moving forward. If you're not going to get a fat check from the state, you're not going to get a, a really fat check from your television, and if you're in Conference USA, that's a very open question. And then convincing people that have only lived in Boca for eight years and might secretly still be Patriots fans to become invested in the house. That's, that's a challenging question. I mean, it's something that I, I think maybe the bigger schools had to struggle with a little bit and now they have inertia. I don't really know the best way that you change that at the lower level. I, I think you're, you're exactly right. I mean, you think about some of these funding challenges that UCF or, or USF have, I mean, UCF, I think, I think I have this right. They get more money off student fees. I believe that than UCF or than USF does. I know UCF makes a ton off student fees. Yeah. So, um, uh, 
like they're always one when you read the articles, Hey, look, look at the school, how much they get off student fees They're uh, they're, they're fairly high on the leaderboard there. I don't know exactly what USF makes off it. Uh, UCF makes over $23 million a year, according to their last financial filing in student fees. So, and, and one of, one of the bigger undergraduate schools period, not only in the, in the state of Florida, but you know, nationally as well. Yeah. It's like what? 60,000. Something, yeah, something yeah. like that. It's it, it's it's bigger than the hometowns of many of our listeners. Like my, my whole neighborhood is UCF pretty much. They they all you know hey are we gonna get this kid? I saw we offered this kid. I was like well he's the number one player in the country, so I don't know. <laughs> like I know Gus is a lot. I, I I made the mistake. I told him like look man, Gus and Travis and those guys they're they're probably gonna recruit a little more aggressively than tra- than uh, than Heupel did, and you know, and so now they're all thinking hey, we're gonna get this kid, we're gonna get that kid. It's like, look man, how much does your director of player ops? You know, director, what's your DPP make at UCF? What does this guy make at Mississippi State? Like 2.5x? You know, it's like if you guys think you're big time, Gus may be hitting you up and saying, hey, I've been there. I've been to the big time. You want big time? I want three of these dudes, right? And they need to make about, you know, 50% more than they do now. How much do you guys really want to compete? That's going to be interesting to see if, if Gus can come in there and, you know, use the sort of, look, I've been to the big time and I've, I've got an national championship appearance and I got a ring as a coordinator. Um, this is what it takes. Do you guys want to be all in with that? But their alumni base is exploding. Like I, I, I think there is some hope that there are people who would donate more if they were hit up more for it. I think especially as that, um, that donor base grows and like and agents, right? Like you've talked about this. And this is one of the, I think the really fascinating things about Florida state is you would think like, listen, Hey, this is, they're not a blue blood, but Florida state's been a, a very successful program for decades. But when you kind of look under the hood at the budget, it's not nearly as wealthy as a lot of big 10 or sec institutions, even some that are not as good at sports because it wasn't that long ago that Florida State was a teacher's college. It wasn't a gigantic like AAU research institution with a gajillion grads everywhere. So they don't have as many people, I mean, who are rich as maybe Michigan does or some other places. I mean, it's maybe it's possible that when our kids are, are doing a show like this, things are very different for UCF because all of those new graduates ended up getting good jobs. And who, know, who knows? But generational wealth plays into the growth of some of these programs, right? Are you saying like a lot of the four state teachers college graduates did not contribute to the endowment when they passed? That's, that's shocking. I, I, right? I don't. I don't want to besmirch any of the hardworking principals and guidance counselors and and hardworking, excellent Florida citizens, musicians, musicians that came out of Florida State, theater theater actors. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of great contributions to the arts. Um, excellent women soccer players. Lots of great things. Uh, maybe not the same amount of money that Florida produced. Uh, throughout the 80s there's one whale out there and uh, are you familiar with with spanx um the art like the the garment spanx yeah have you ever like attended the wedding and your your wife wore spanx or or something (laughs) or something like that certainly aware of people that have have worn spanx yeah okay uh so sarah blakely uh the inventor of spanx is a florida state grad but i but i don't believe she's (laughs) in football if they could get like i mean that is a you know Billions of dollar company, and uh, but I cannot think of anything more college football. Can you imagine Spanx uniforms? <laughs> yes, I, I could, could actually. Um, yeah. I, I know Florida State would not have been the first school I would have picked 
that would wear Spanx uniforms. Or I mean, that 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 seems that's that's not quite a Russell Athletic Georgia Tech move, but I, I could see somebody else maybe going for that. But I can't think of anything more college football than what our program really needs to take the next level is to get our hands on some of that Spanx money. Right. Like, and, and like, that's, that's how this stuff works. Like somebody's uncle was at a frozen food empire or whatever. And that, that becomes a weight room and, and that that's how it moves up. I mean, I mean, shoot, like John Mellencamp's got his name on a bunch of stuff in Indiana, right? Like you ran, yeah, random really- people donate to these schools. You never know. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. No, we, we, we get that question on Nolcast. I don't know. Probably once a month. Hey, any progress on, I'm like, dude, <laughs> No, I don't have any update on that. <laughs> if they were making progress, I'm pretty sure they would not be telling yeah. people they're making well, progress. Friends, if you are affiliated with the Spanx Empire and are wondering the best way to invest your funds in college athletics development, my email is matt at extrapointsmb.com. I would be happy to put you in touch with some folks working in legacy gifts somewhere. Um, but I think that's a good place to wrap this up. Thank, thank you so much. Real quick, I, I'm, I'm, a lot of our listeners are familiar with you, but where's the best place right now to find your work? Because you are a multi-platform man now. Yeah, guys, uh, you, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Bud Elliott, the number three. So that's two L's, two T's, and Elliott, Bud Elliott, number three, on the Cover 3 podcast where we talk uh, three times a week offseason and five times a week in the season with uh, Danny Cannell and Tom Fernelli, another Chicago guy, and, uh, right. as well as Chip Patterson. And then on 247sports.com for the written work. But this is wonderful. I'm going to include a couple of links to your work here in the show notes that we're going to publish later this week. It's been fun, man. Thanks thanks for coming and hanging out with Guys, us. Guys, anytime. I, I always listen to the show when it drops, so it's, it's on my weekly rotation. Uh, folks, this episode is sponsored by the newsletter that you're probably quite familiar with at this point, the Extra Points newsletter. If you are interested in this kind of armchair um, uh, anthropology and understanding how all these different back-end factors shape what you see here within college sports, you're going to love Extra Points because that is a newsletter and it publishes four days a week that digs into all of these issues. talks about how state higher education funding initiatives impact the decisions that athletic departments make, uh, about what's happening right now with name, image, and likeness on the state and federal level, uh, what's happening here with uh, conference realignment across Division Two, FCS, uh, potentially more. I have a couple updates on that coming over this week. And so if that's something you're into this is some uh, this is a newsletter that's going to make your inbox a little bit smarter and a little bit more fun you could subscribe for free and get two newsletters a week at extrapointsmb.com and if you want to join the party support what we're doing and get every single newsletter and access to our special subscriber only discord channel i have good news for you because if you use promo code podcast at checkout, you get 20% off, which means that you will be able to get a monthly subscription to Extra Points for under seven bucks a month. That is promo code podcast. Gets you four Extra Points newsletters every single week. Hit up www.extrapointsmb.com, promo code podcast. Well, I, I got to be honest with you, Brian. When I booked this interview and I sat down with my notes, I did not expect us to talk about Spanx and, and wrap things up there. But that just, I mean, that just goes to show that you never know what's going to happen when you're, when you're chopping it up with Florida, man. 
Well, Bud is one of the most unique uh, individuals that uh, covers college football and uh, known him for a long time, as, as have you. And uh, that, that's just uh, somewhat the way some of these these uh, conversations go, you know. But uh, it, it was fun talking to him. And one of the more important states when you talk about college football, it, it is Florida. Everybody understands it. Everybody knows it. And I think hopefully we provide a little bit more insight in ter- terms of what was actually happening and, and what's going to happen in, in the rest of that state. Yeah, I feel like you could use this as a microcosm and talk about almost anything you want in college athletics, the, the history. If you want to talk about how a school is able to, to go from commuter college to um, non-asterisk national champion in college football within a few decades, you have an example there. You want to see what happens when you uh, do or do not make certain investments in, in public education funding or kind of take the brakes off transfer rules, you, you can look at Florida. You you look at, you want to see how demographics across the country shape the fortunes of college athletics. Take a look at what's happening in the Big Ten. Take a look at what's happening in Florida. You add that and you sprinkle in all of the just Floridaness. That, that comes with it. And I, I say that with love. And that means it can be a little bit weird. Um, covering this state and covering recruiting, which you can't do without talking about Florida on some level, it means it's never going to be boring. No, it, it's not. And I think that is important to keep in mind because the, the evolution of everything going on in Florida, whether it's at the high school level, or whether it's at the college level, whether it's everything in between, is so fascinating to to follow because it does it's constantly changing. I mean, we were just talking about uh, the, the Florida Teachers College and, and and how FSU has evolved from that. I mean, it's fascinating to see F, uh, UCF grow up. Uh, I, I remember visiting there over a decade ago and just seeing how how it really kind of you know popped out of nowhere and how it's evolved to uh, a team that uh, we've talked quite a bit uh, in terms of the national stage and, and what importance it has uh, just over the last couple of years. So I think it's it's fascinating to see that you throw in Miami. And, and the ups and downs that that program has experienced. You look at the talent level. Um, you know, we were just coming out of the NFL draft uh, not too long ago. I mean, a lot of those Florida kids, uh, you're hearing their name, not only in the first round, but uh, throughout the rest of the draft, uh, you know, have those Florida ties. So uh, it's just a vitally important state to the industry of football in period right, at all levels. And I think it's uh, it, its importance is only going to continue to grow as that population moves and shifts and both enters and exits that state as we kind of talked about a little bit with bud yeah and, and football more probably the most so but certainly not not the only sport this is a, this is an important state for producing swimmers and soccer players and basketball players and absolutely baseball players and as this population grows and as the infrastructure does or doesn't around them it's not just a football story although that's you know that's the world that you and i have spent most of our careers in it's a sports story um I really enjoy doing these shows. If, if there is a state or a, a city that you'd like us to highlight, um, you know, drop us a tweet, drop us a note. Uh, you can find me at Matt at extrapointsmb.com. Um, Brian, where can we find you? As always on Twitter, Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Always the best place to uh, to find me and uh, all my random musings about uh, sports near and far. Wonderful. Uh, and you, of course, as always, you can check out Extra Points at www.extrapoints.com mb.com have a couple of fun newsletters coming out here over these next couple of days thanks for listening everybody we'll catch you next week